Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, good morning, good morning. This week we, we close out the series that we've been entering into, that we've been dealing with for the last few weeks called The Hospital. And um, today we, we, we're going to close it in the waiting room. Uh, which is fitting because we, we are now waiting for our Lord to come, right? But before we get into the message, next week is a pretty big Sunday, is it not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty, pretty big Sunday. It is Easter or Resurrection Sunday, the Sunday that we commemorate, we celebrate the sacrifice that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ made on our behalf. But not just the sacrifice, the fact that he got up from the grave. Yeah, yeah, we can't leave him in the ground. He, he got up, and he did so for you and I. It's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal, and I, I'm excited about it. Um, but I want us to be excited in a number of ways. It's Resurrection Sunday. It's also our very first Resurrection Sunday in this building, which is it's a pretty big deal, right? So it's, it's a big deal for the, the, the former more so than the latter. But anyways, it's grounds to celebrate. But here's, here's what I want us to do. Um, I want us to be intentional going into next week. So uh, wherever you're sitting, you should have a, a card. I thought I was going to bring one up with me. They sang so good. I left it at my seat. There, there's a card. Thank you, George. I only want one. Thank you. And um, you should have one of these cards in your chair. So go ahead, grab, grab the card if you don't mind. Go ahead, put it in your hand. You, you ain't got to stick it up in the air. I, I, you know, I ain't, but just, just hold on to it. And um, on, on one side, uh, you'll see uh, this image with the words I am on it, which is the series that we start next week uh, for Easter. We're going to be walking through the seven I am's that Jesus proclaimed. We're, we're going to start next week telling people exactly who Jesus is and what he came to do. Amen? And, uh, and then on the other side, it's, it says, join us for Easter at one church, which means that this is an, actually an invitation for you not to hold for yourself. This isn't for you to commit to your memory. This is for you to pass along to someone that you know. Now, here's the thing. I didn't sit or we didn't sit 5, 10, or 20 of these in your chair. Just that one. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to think of one person whom you know who needs an encounter with Jesus. I mean, listen, our, our worship team is phenomenal. Our preaching is subpar. But that's not what this Sunday is about next week. It's not about the singing. It's not about the preaching. It's about the great I am. It's about Jesus. So think of that person. Grab that name inside of your mind right now and hold on to it. Hold on to your card. Now let's pray for them. That when you make the ask, that they'll receive it. Wayne, come on up here and pray for us. I just felt like I, I needed to grab him. Wayne, Wayne, Wayne thinks about this all the time. And so... Um, we want him to just lead us in a prayer of evangelism for these people. Oh, there you go. George got you. All right. 
Well, it's an exciting time. Is this thing on? Yeah, it's on. It is a good time. For all those that came yesterday and we had lunch with our neighbors, it was a lot of fun. Hannah learned all about her school because she met a guy that played basketball there and graduated in 1972 when it was not known as Brown, but known as Miles? Niles. Aaron, oh, that's right, yeah. Anyway, we had a lot of fun. Father God, we just come before you this day. Know that there's a lot of people out there that are really hurting, that need to know you, need to come and see you, and they need to have people invite them. Most people don't go to church just wandering down the street and walk in the door. Most people have to be invited. In fact, when you think about how you ever got to church, somebody invited you. So let's just pray that we'll have strong hearts, we'll have hearts that are prepared to receive the message, and that each and every one of you will be encouraged to give one card to one person and let God fill this place next Sunday so that we can celebrate him and his resurrection. He is risen. Again. So um, this Sunday, we close out our series uh, with the waiting room. I have a question for each and every one of you. Um, how, how do you wait? How do you wait? There are, there, are, there are a number of positions or postures, shall we say, that people wait with. I, I look at it like it's sports teams. There's like three different categories that I think about when I think about waiting. There's there's the the Pacers, the Rockers, and the Gazers. That's that's what I think about the Pacers. Maybe maybe this is you. Maybe you just can't sit still. Are you that person? You just you just can't sit still. You just have to walk. You pace around. You you, you know you can't you can't do that. Or 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 maybe you're a rocker. You you know what a rocker is? I'll show you what a rocker is. A rocker, you know. You're sitting down and, you know, you try to cross your legs and you can't sit still. You're tapping your fingers all the time and you just, you just kind of, you kind of rock. You don't want to get up and walk, but you just, you just rock away. I mean, you don't need a rocking chair. You are the chair. You're just, just rocking away, right? Right? Or maybe, maybe you're a gazer. A gazer, a gazer just stares off in the distance. You, you, you just, you just, you, you. You disappear somewhere, somewhere in your mind and a memory, whatever it may be. You just gaze off into the distance and you just you just try to get away. You see this when you go into the hospital, don't you? You ever been to the waiting room and just observe? I'm a people watcher, so I do this all the time. You just sit in the hospital and you watch, you watch the pacers, you watch the gazers, and you watch the rockers all in one space, and you see them processing or trying to process the reason why they're there in the waiting room. Yeah? Now, although there's the pacers, the rockers, and the gazers, I feel like since they're all teams, that they're all also the part of, like, one league. It's, it's like the TFL or the TFA, the, the Fillers Association or the Fillers League. 
That, that basically means this, is that you're trying to, whether you're pacing, rocking, or gazing, you're trying to figure out how to process your pain. And ultimately, what we're all trying to do is trying to figure out, I can't hop back up, so I'm up to walk, because um, 20 years ago, I would have jumped, and, uh, but these knees ain't what they used to be. However, you're, you're processing it. What you're trying to do is figure out, what am I going to do with my pain? So we, we all fit in, in one, two, or three kind of groups within our fillers. We, 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 we could be the ones who just try to replace the fillings. Maybe that's you, right? This is, this is where, like, addictions and things Amen. come from. Amen. When you try to figure out, what is it that I can do to replace the pain or this feeling that I have because I don't want to feel it, so I'd rather feel something else in, re in response to it, and I'd rather give myself to that thing. Or maybe, maybe you're one who just likes to avoid the feeling, right? You're like, you know, that's kind of me. I'll, I'll just kind of escape. I'll go do something. I'll, I'll binge on Netflix, medicate on a number of other things, just try to go get an adrenaline rush or something like that, just to avoid the feeling. Or, or maybe maybe you're mature. God bless you if you are. You, you know how to just sit and deal with whatever you're feeling. I, I, I'm proud of those people who can do that. It's not, not necessarily my gift. How do you wait? Right now, I, um, I'm currently in the waiting room. Actually, my entire family is. As uh, we just got word that in a few days or so, my grandmother will pass on from this life to the next. And we're trying to figure out how to process that. What, what do we do with this woman who has loved our family so well, our, our matriarchs? How do, we, how, do we, how do we deal with that? It's been hard enough. Over the last few years, speaking to her and her not knowing who we are. That's enough, but at least she's here. And now trying to figure out how do we do so. And so what I've been trying to do is avoid dealing with that. So the other day I actually went and I was all by myself. She and I just sat in her room. And, and I, I was going to just sit there. I got classwork to do for school. So I, I went in, and, and I was going to read these, these textbooks as I sat next to her bed as she slept. And I found myself on all the I gazed, I rocked, I paced, and I was just unsettled. And so finally, after a couple hours, I couldn't take it no more. I had to wait. I just had, had to leave. But when I got the phone call yesterday, here's the revelation that came to me. No matter how you process, nor no matter how you feel, even if you don't want to go to the waiting room, the waiting room will find you. Amen. Amen. There's something else that I learned through this, though. How you wait oftentimes reflects how and who you trust. How you wait oftentimes reflects how and who you trust. For some of us, if you're like me, it's not so much about how you wait, it's if you wait, because if you're like me, I'm a problem solver. I'm used to fixing things. And so I oftentimes don't wait because I figure that I can work my way through a problem. And I'll, I'll just fix it. I'll come up with it. I'll do it. And then, you know, because ultimately what I know is that I trust me. I'm pretty good at things. 
I'm a thinker, I'm a quick processor, and so I know that if something arises, I can usually fix it. Am I the only one in the room like that? Yeah, I can fix it. Or, or maybe, maybe you're a runner. Maybe, maybe you're not as arrogant as I am. You don't trust yourself as much. You don't trust yourself, and similar to me, you don't trust God. Because when we run or when we try to fix, it's ultimately what we're saying is, God, I don't trust you or trust putting this inside of your hands. And, you know, if I, if I trust me or if I run, then at least I can escape whatever the worst possible thing that can happen. I can get away from it. And even if I didn't land on your street there, maybe, maybe none of those things speak to you. Here's what I know about all of us. And here's what I know about all of humanity, wherever you are in your life right now. The reality is all of us right now at this point in your life, each and every one of us is waiting for God for something. Every single one of us has a prayer. God, when? God, when will you? It could be for you, it could be for your child, it could be for a family member, it could be for something to work out. It's just God, when will it come to pass? So since we're all in the waiting room, I just want to share a brief passage with you that I think speaks to kind of where we are. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to um, a wonderful, wonderful book, odd book, perhaps you've never even been in this book, Lamentations, chapter 3. And we're going to begin at verse 21, Lamentations chapter 3. Or if you've been in church any length of time, you'll hear this and these words will be familiar to you. Lamentations chapter 3. Listen to what the writer says. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Amen. Very, very famous passage in the book of Lamentations, right? There's a, a song that if you've been to church at any length of time, you're familiar with that comes out of this passage. You've sung it, great is thy faithfulness, right? Comes from this book called Lamentations. And the book of Lamentations ultimately is exactly what it is. It's a book of laments. And if you don't know what that means, it's basically it is a book compiled of poems or songs about grievances or, or, or sorrow or what's happening to the nation of Judah. And they are, they are speaking out through this writer about the pain of the moment that they're in right now as they are under the oppression of the Babylonian kingdom right now. So this, this book of Lamentations, it shares this experience for us as they write their sorrows down. And we, we read it, and it's, it's, not, it's not the most encouraging read if you've ever read it. But one of the things that the people of God have to learn how to do is we actually have to learn how to feel and how to deal, how to lament. Amen. Yeah, we have to learn how to process this. And so what's happened in our story then is the writers believe that Jeremiah actually wrote the book 
of lamentation. Some debate it. We don't know whether or not it's him. But one of the things that's taught is that even though it doesn't, it's not worded like Jeremiah's previous writing in his book, what lamentations is, is Jeremiah recording the grievances and the sorrows of the community of the remnant of Judah who has been left behind as the Babylonian king has taken the best of the best into their kingdom to assimilate them into Babylonian culture. And so there's a remnant that has been left behind who are experiencing poverty, loss. It's a war-torn land. And now Jeremiah is there praying with and leading and hearing the heartbreak of the people of God. The people of Judah has been left behind. And so in chapter 3, it's, it's no different. Some of us, well, some debate, the scholars say they don't know if this is the entire land of Judah speaking here or if this is just a grievance of one individual. But if you look at verse uh, 1, 1 through 3, you'll see that the first 20 verses are actually his grievances. But I kind of want to let you see the mindset of the writer or the people as they start this, this lament in chapter 3. Listen to verses 1 through 3. He says this, I am the one who has seen affliction. Under the rod of God's wrath, he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Against me alone, he turns his head again and again all day long part of the process of the waiting room as we try to walk through and go through this progression of pain is trying to figure out either where God is or why did God allow this to happen to me? And I'm sure, man, if you're a human being, you've asked that question at some point of your life, where is God? Or if it's not that question, why did God allow this to happen to me? It's biblical, by the way. And so don't feel ashamed if you've been there, if you processed through that, if you expressed that in your prayers and your convictions. It's biblical. Perhaps you remember the story of Job. And you remember the story of Job and the tragic loss that he experienced over time. And Job, at one point in time, just specifically cries out and says, Though I cry, I've been wrong. I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. Job says, listen, the God that I know, the God that I trust, God, why have you allowed this to happen to me? And God, where are you right now? Because I've cried out and yet I feel no justice. Or maybe Job isn't a, a major enough character for you. Maybe I can introduce you to Jesus Christ himself as we enter into Holy Week. As Jesus has already been beaten, as he's already been condemned, as he's hanging on Calvary's cross, you hear the Bible records these words, Elahi, Elahi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself poses the question as he is bearing the sins, the weight of the sins of all of humanity, God, where are you and why did you allow this to happen to me? This is an important note because quite possibly you might be like any of those examples right now. But here's, here's a key thing about this relationship that you need to know. While you're in the waiting room, before we even get to how you wait, one of the things that you need to know while you're waiting and in the process of waiting is that while you're waiting, you're going to have to bear a little weight. 
I'm going to say that one more time. Before we even get to how you wait, what you need to know about the process of waiting is that while you are waiting, you're going to have to bear some weight. You're going to have to carry the weight of the pains of this old life. I'm still within scripture. Jesus himself said, whomever is going to come after me, if you are going to follow me, one of the first things you're going to have to do is bear your cross and follow me. Jesus says again, he says, listen, do not think that I've come to bring peace. But I've come to turn a father against a son, a mother against her daughter. I've come and you're going to have to carry the load, bury the weight of this old life. I don't know who told us it to be true that when you come to Christ that you're just going to glide to glory. My brothers and sisters, that is not the truth. God did not create us to glide in the glory. He did not promise that that would be our reality. He said, in this life, you will have trouble. Amen. But that's not the important part of the story. Take heart, have courage, because I have overcome whatever it is that you are experiences. My sisters and brothers, part of the package deal, if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, is you're going to have to feel the weight of life. I was just in um, Detroit for a couple of days and just, just talking with people and hearing. We in this, in this conference that is empowering churches to, to, to get better, to do better ministry, one of the sessions that they have to hold because of the state of our world, we're not just experiencing it in Louisville, it's all over the country right now where so many of our young people are taking their lives, they're committing suicide. So we had to have a whole session on how do you minister in these contexts. sit and think that we have to even think about the fact that life is so heavy for our children when they should be experiencing joy in childhood that we have to take a time and pause and say what do we do for children who are even thinking about considering taking their lives or how do we respond to a community when they have experienced the problem of children who have taken their life man when I was listening to that my heart just broke the way to this old world. And to think that it is now passed from us as adults to our babies, it breaks my heart. There's a heaviness to this, man. And the waiting room comes with a sense of heaviness. The writer here, they're expressing their disbelief and their grievances because they can't reconcile what they know about God with the experiences that they're having right now. But then something happens. We, we don't know. The, the writer doesn't tell us explicitly what caused this transition, but there became a transition from verse 20 to verse 21. For the first 20 verses, it's, it's pretty clear the writer has an issue with God. Yeah, and, and I know that we feel like that's sinful, right? We were told, don't question God. God is sovereign. Don't question him. Don't have, but that's, that's not biblical either, by the way. It's okay for you to question God. There's a number of times where you'll, you'll, you'll read in Scripture where God himself says, hey, come, let us reason together. 
God's like, let's talk this out. Let, let us deal with this together. And so that's not necessarily biblical, but, but the, they have this issue. And so he's been questioning it as an issue with life and with the experiences of this world. But something happens, a transition from verse 20 to 21. And this is what he says in verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. God, great is your faithfulness. One of the first things that I see in this transition is that the writer has a faith-filled reflection. He has a faith-filled reflection. The writer as expressing their grievances. Something triggers their mind. And all of a sudden, what triggers their mind, they begin to remember who God is and what God does. Not what God is doing, not where God has been right now. They remember, they reflect on who God is and what God has done in their life. It becomes a faith-filled reflection. And so... I love this because as, as you look at it, he says that he, he, he remembers, but this is, this is what he remembers, and this is what gives him hope. He remembers the steadfast love of the Lord and that it never ceases. He remembers God's love, his steadfast love. Another, a better word for this, Matt, you know this. We just got through talking about this in class. A better word for that is an unrelenting love of the Lord. It's a love that never ceases, that chases us down. He remembers that God's love is relentless. That no matter what your experiences are, no matter what your pains are, the love of God will find you. The love of God is relentless. He remembered that about God's love. And all of a sudden, he remembered that no matter where he is right now, that God has not forgotten about him. That although the moment right now is heavy, although right now he is in the middle of a a, a terrible situation, he is grieving and lamenting his pain, he remembers, however, that God's love is relentless, that it never gives up on him. Now, the only reason he remembers that is because this isn't the first time that he's been in a moment or a situation like he's in right now. He knows and he's able to reflect a faith-filled reflection because he remembers the last time he was in a place and in a space where he thought God had given up on him. And when he thought that it was over and he remembered the last time that I was in a spot like this, God showed up. And the same God who showed up back then is the same God right now. He remembered the relentless, unrelenting love of God. I know you're tired of waiting, and oftentimes it seems like just we're always in a perpetual state of waiting. Like, I've been dealing with this for six months, six years. I'm just tired of this. Here's here's what's encouraging about this text. Maybe you won't find it as encouraging. I, I did. As they are in the middle of this moment right here, they actually know how long it's going to be before the Lord delivers them. For, for Jesus, you, you, you know that, that, that verse that we love to quote, Jeremiah 29 and 11, you, you know that verse? For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. 
Have you ever read what comes before it? Before that, the Lord God says, you're going to have to deal with this for 70 years. For 70 years, you're going to have to deal with this affliction, and then I'll deliver you. But you're going to have to feel this for 70 years. Who's complaining about your little six-month, three-month problem? God, God told them, listen, 70 years, you're going to have to feel all of this. But this is what this says about God. Even though you've got to deal with this for 70 years, the thing that I know about God is that he will keep you. Because he said for 70 years, you're going to have to deal with that, which means for 70 years, although there's going to be pain in your lives, although you're going to be in the waiting room, the Lord is not going to allow it to consume you. The Lord's going to hold you up while you're going through what you're going through. Somebody here ought to be encouraged about that. Because you don't know if you're going to make it out. Because you don't always feel like getting out of bed in the mornings, but what the Lord is saying through the prophet Jeremiah is, even if you are uncertain about when the ending is come, the Lord will not give up on you. He will sustain you in the middle of what you're going through. It's a, faith, it's a faith-filled reflection. But also, the second thing is this, it's a faithful resolve. From that faith-filled reflection comes a faithful resolve. Listen to the words. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And look at this. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. The Lord is my portion. Remembering how much God loves you and remembering what he does produces a certain resolve on the inside of you that will carry you through. It just gives you strength. That's why the writer says, listen, I recognize my portion, my soul lets me know in the midst of this is that the Lord is there. And keep in mind that this is still before the writer then comes to an understanding about the Lord and recognizes that right now what they need before the Lord delivers or even if the Lord does not deliver for that matter is to understand that whatever come my way, that they know whatever is my lot, that it is still well with my soul. Come what may, I've got to resolve. I know that the Lord is still good and he's taught me to say that it is well because the Lord is my portion. I love this because the writer didn't say the Lord is my portion and I have hope now because I know that the Lord is about to deliver me. He didn't say the Lord is my portion and it is well within my soul because I know that in just a short period of time I won't have to deal with this. He's ultimately saying that even if the Lord doesn't show up right now, what my reflection has taught me in times past is that right now God is enough. Yes, he is. Okay, I'm still within the Bible. The Bible points to this. You remember, you remember those Hebrew boys we talked about in Daniel? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember, man, after King Nebuchadnezzar made this proclamation that as they built this graven image of gold and they said when the, when the trumpets and the music goes off that all people are supposed to bow down and worship the graven image. The Bible says that the, 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 the three Hebrew boys refused to bow down when the trumpet went off, when the music went off, because they were committed to worshiping only the Lord their God, Yahweh, the Lord their God. And so the conspirers came around and they told King Nebuchadnezzar, Hey, you're, you're, you're good guys. Listen, they, don't, they ain't who you think that they are because when you send out your tweets and when you proclaim how great you are, they refuse to acknowledge that. And so what happens then is they, they arrest them, they bring them to a prison, and they sentence them to death in this fiery furnace. And listen to what they say. Before they go in, as they heated up the furnace seven times higher than what it ought to be, they speak together in unison and they say, Oh, king. We want you to know one thing, that the God that we serve is able to deliver us from you. But that ain't the end. But even if he does not, I still want you to know that we will not bow down or worship your image. I love that. But even if he does not, that's what the Lord is my portion says. Even if the Lord does not deliver me right now, even if my situation doesn't work out the way that I expect it to, what I want my situation to know is that I will magnify and glorify my God even now because the Lord is my portion. It's a faith-filled, faith-filled reflection, which develops the end of faithful resolve. And then lastly, the Lord faithfully rescues. Amen. Listen to what he says in verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Do you want to know the one thing that's worse than waiting for God? There's only one thing that's wait, worse than waiting for God. That's not waiting and wishing that you had. It's the only thing that's worse. How many of you found yourself at one point in time so insistent on something, something moving, getting something, and all signs pointed to no? All signs suggested that you ought not. All signs said this isn't for you but you were so insistent to have it your way. And then finally, the Lord's like, you know what, here, I tried to tell you. I tried, I tried to tell you, just, you're going to have to deal with it yourself. I remember, I remember when my daughter was, she was about four years old. And we, we went to the park, and, and she, wasn't, she wasn't all the way, she wasn't strong enough for the monkey bars like she wanted to be. But she saw a bigger girl who got up there, and man, it was a, it was a long, 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 long line of bars. And, and I'm like, baby, listen, you can do it, but you're going to have to let daddy kind of hold you up because you're not quite ready for it. And, uh, and, 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 and my daughter's a lot like me. She's hard-headed, and, and she always wants to do things her way. And she says, no, daddy, I don't want no help. I want to do it myself. Uh, and I'm like, well, baby, I don't, th I don't think that you can. I just, I just don't think that it's smart for you to do this by yourself. And she says, well, I'm going to, and don't touch me. And uh, that's what she told me at four years old. And, uh, and so before there was a paternal Me Too movement, I said, all right, I just won't. I, and so I let her go. And, uh, and she made it about two, three times. And before I know it, she was stuck in the middle 
uh, by herself, too high. There was no ladder close enough for her feet to reach. And of course, she was short. And so it was a pretty long fall. And, and so I said, hey, baby, would you like daddy to help you? And she says, no, I got it. I said, well, now you don't. Um, but, but I've come help you. And, and she, said, she said, I got it. And so she, she tried to go one, one more time. But she wasn't strong enough to make it to the next pole. And ultimately, she fell. And, and, and when she got there, I walked over to her, and, um, and, and she says, Daddy, why'd you let me fall? <laughs> and, and I said, well, baby, you, you wanted to do this by yourself so badly. Right. And I tried to tell you that if you did, you was going to fall. You just didn't listen. Right. So Daddy had to let you deal with the realities of that. And sometimes it happens in life, man. Sometimes, man, when we don't want to wait, when we are so insistent on getting things our way, sometimes the pain that we experience, I'm not going to say that it's self-inflicted. I'm just going to say that sometimes we are so insistent on having things our way that God has to allow us to fall and then come and to let us know, I've been trying to tell you for this entire time, if you just trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge me, then I will direct your path. Stop trying to do it by yourself while you are waiting. Trust and what the Lord is doing. And I'm talking to somebody here. You're not, and I'm not the only one who's experienced that. The writer says the Lord did. He's good yes. to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It's good that one should wait quietly yes. for the salvation of the Lord. Yes. Lord, Lord. Lord's good to those who wait. That's what the writer's trying to let us know the waiting's a natural part of our relationship. It's what, it's what we do. We wait yes. for God. And waiting, waiting isn't the lack of activity. Waiting is active and it is living and it is doing what you need to do your part while you're waiting for God to show up in the midst. There's an assignment in every miracle, if you read in Scripture, in every miracle, it's one part human and one part divine. And as you're waiting for the Lord to do something, what God is looking for us to do is for us to participate in our lane. Part of the issue, especially with us who are so smart, we're so intelligent, is that we forget that we're not God. And that God has all the knowledge, God has all the power, and what we're supposed to do is wait for God to do his part. So, God, where my lane is, I've got to sit in my lane and trust that you're going to show up. He may not come when you want him to, but the old folks said that he will show up right on time. Yeah. I, I saw this, man, when I was, um, I used to be, before going into full-time ministry, I was the director of a boys and girls club. And, um, and so I, 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 I remember this, this, this boy, he was, he was about seven years old. And it was his birthday. And he was so excited when he got there after school because it was a Friday and his dad was supposed to pick him up after, after the club closes, or before the club closes, so they could spend the whole weekend celebrating his birthday. The, the issue is that his, his, his dad wasn't that great at showing up. Now, here's the thing. I, you know, I, I've been working with kids for a very long time, and, and so I, I know... I know what it's like when daddies don't show up. I, I, I know this, this story all too well. I, 
So I, I, I was waiting, waiting for it to, to happen. In my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, I remember this. This, this isn't going to work out for the boy because, you know, time was passing. And, and every opportunity he got, he came out. And he looked and he said, Mr. Jam- Jamel, has my, my dad showed up yet? And I'm like, no, no, buddy. I haven't seen your dad. And, um, and he go back and he play and he come back again. He says, uh, Mr. Jamel, has my dad got here yet? I'm like, no, buddy. If your dad shows up, I'll call you. I, I got a little nervous the later it got. So I called his mom and I said, hey. Um, I, I just want you to know that, uh, that his dad ain't got here yet, and, um, and, and I, I ain't too sure that he's going to make it. And, and she said, yeah, that's part of my fear, too. And so I'll, um, I, I'll, I'll come. come to, she said, let me speak to him. And so I, I called him up, and I let him speak to his mom. And all I heard him say is, Mom, don't worry about it. He'll be here. And, um, and so she asked to speak back to me, and she says, well, listen, um, I, I'm like you. I don't think he's going to show up. So... Uh, at about 10 minutes before the club closes, because I don't live that far away, I'll just start heading over there um, so that I can catch him so he doesn't keep you late after. I said, okay, that, that'll work out. And so, um, so we're, we're waiting, and, and everybody else in the club has left. We, we've, we've got about five minutes to go. And, um, and he's waiting up front with me, and, and my heart is breaking. But I'm also angry at his father. I'm like, man, if I, if I see him, you know, I'm like, you know, breaking this boy's heart. You know, I, and I, I wasn't a pastor then. I was, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, was, and I was young, strapping in my early 20s. I had muscles and no fat back then, man. It was in the good old days. And, um, and I'm like, well, listen, um, man, I, I just don't think your dad's going to make it. And he says, nah, he'll be here. And as soon as he said that, his dad's truck pulled in. Dad hopped out, man, the truck running. And, and, and I saw, I mean, sweating profusely. Um, you could tell that he's exhausted and that he's had a time. And he walks through the door, man, and he kneels down before his son. He says, I'm so sorry I'm late. Uh, but but you, you told me what you wanted for your birthday. And, um, and when I got off work, I, I, I drove an hour away because none of the stores here had it. Because I wanted to make sure that this weekend was going to be special for us. And um, the little boy looks back at me because I had, you know, already formulated in my mind what type of man his dad was. And he said these words to me. Mr. Jamel, I told you he'd be here because he promised. What a lesson in waiting. You're waiting and you're wondering, and oftentimes we make bad decisions because we forget that God is not a man that he should lie. And although it is uncomfortable and although you struggle at times while you're sitting in a waiting room and you don't know how things are going to work out, what I want you to know I got to step faithful. And I know that it gets late, and I know that it gets hard, and I know that you get weary and weak, and you wonder where he is. He has not forgotten about you. He has not forgotten. 
And I feel like the only thing that God really expects from us is to be like that little boy. To have faith in the promises of the Father. He doesn't want your money. He ain't all that concerned with your time. He just wants children who say, Father, I believe you. And no matter how uncomfortable it gets for me, I will wait for you. It's because of the Lord's tender mercies that we are not consumed. They are brand new every morning. Great is his faithfulness towards us. Somebody needs to needs to feel that today. George, you want to lead that for me? I want to ask 